Well, good morning. It's good to be back. Start of a new year. A little older. One and a half years away of being a senior citizen. How many of you stayed awake until 12 o'clock? Youth is when you are allowed to stay up until midnight and see the new year in. Middle age is when you're forced to do that. The, the, the definition of an optimist and a pessimist is an optimist stays up until midnight to see the new year in. A pessimist is to stay up until midnight to see the old year out. <laughs> so, old age, what a terrible thing. Old age is when all your friends start complimenting you on your new alligator shoes and then they realize that you're barefoot. <sighs> I, I have started to make sounds when I'm doing stuff, you know. <laughs> when the load shedding takes place and I have to reset the timer, the digital timer on the microwave, you know. It's a terrible thing to make sounds, you know. The other day I got up uh, after watching some TV and Michaela was with us and I got up and I, she looked at me and she says, Dad, are you okay? (laughs) So you get up, strange sounds. I don't know what it is. And when you drop something on the floor, you know, when when you're under 40, it's just like boom, boom. And now when you're in your 60s, you're like, there's a mental transaction that takes place. Is it worth it? (laughs) If it's not worth it, I'm going to leave it there. (laughs) A little while ago, Medlin and I were looking at beds. We need to get a new bed. And we looked at a whole lot of different beds. I mean, the cost of beds is ridiculous. I mean... But, I mean, you are spending a third of your life on the thing. Uh, but, but I got into the car, I said to Bedlow, you know, that's going to be our deathbed. That's going to be the last bed. <laughs> and as you get older, you know, your hair stops growing where you want it to grow and starts growing where you don't want it to grow. I did a biology class at school and nobody taught me that when I get to my 60s, I'm going to have garden broomsticks sticking out of my ear, you know. I mean, th- those hairs are so thick. I mean, I wish, I wish I had thick hair like that coming out of my head rather than out of my ears. I mean, if I let that thing grow, I could go deep sea fishing for giant tuna off the Cape Coast. I, seriously, I mean... and. Guys to say, pull it out. You, know, you can't pull the thing out. It's sore. I mean, that thing is connected to your spinal cord. I mean, if you pull, <laughs> if you pull it out, you'll, you'll lose your motor skills for 30 seconds, you know. <laughs> Seriously. Old age. Another year. 2022. We need to make some commitments and some resolutions. You know, you've got two weeks... And your resolutions are gone. You know, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to go to the gym. 
two weeks. But I think God's word speaks to us and we need to have some serious commitments that we need to make at the beginning of this year. I just want to say, I think this year is going to be a fantastic year. The last, the last two years that we've had COVID and uh, we've planted out two churches in Hrabo and Gordon's Bay and it's been a wonderful thing to see the growth that's taken place at those churches. Uh, you, you, you've heard me say this so many times that when uh, you plant out, you're sowing out and the principle of sowing and reaping is one of the most ultimate principles in, in the scriptures, in the world, in the universe and I'm seeing such incredible growth in a period of two months. We had 150 visitors, over 150 visitors come to see what Josh Jen is about. And so it's just been so wonderful to see that we, we, we need to bring them in, to put them into communities and to uh, bring them to the place where they say, yes, Josh Jen is going to be my church. Choosing a church is very, very important. Very important. Because ultimately this affects your eternity as well. So we need to make a few commitments. So the first thing, I've got five thoughts thoughts for you this morning. And the first thing is what you think about God is ultimately the most important thing about your life. Let's look at um, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. Paul is talking and he says, this is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have, what, what I have entrusted to him for that day. Hmm? I know whom I have believed. A.W. Tozer said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I, that verse tells me, I, Paul says, I know whom I have believed and that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him. He is able. This is a God who is supremely able, able in every area of our lives. Able to guard what we've entrusted to him. I just want to share some statistics about the ability uh, of God. We're circling the sun. And the earth travels 938 million kilometers every year around the sun, which means that we travel every single day 2,560,000 kilometers through space every day, which means that we travel at 106,000 kilometers an hour. Okay? That is super, super fast. The space shuttles, they've discontinued them, but they traveled at probably about 34,000 kilometers an hour. If the space shuttle had a race with the Earth, they'd start being outpaced radically. Within the first hour, they would be over 50,000, 60,000 kilometers off. In 1977, Voyager 2, a little probe, was sent out into space. And it went out into space, and in 1998, sorry, 1989, 12 years later, 
they got to Neptune. It had traveled 4.3 billion kilometers through space. 12 years. If that Voyager 2 continues to travel in our galaxy, and it continues to travel out and send back pictures and information about our galaxy, before it gets to the first star, and you know that we've got millions of stars in our galaxy, let alone the millions of other galaxies that are out there. If we, if that, if that little Voyager 2 continues to travel, it will reach the first, the closest, the nearest star in, listen to this, 958,000 years. This is our God that created the universe that we have a relationship with. So when Paul writes, he is able to guard what we've entrusted to him. He's able to guard our lives. Then we can believe it. You see, one of the things that I need to communicate to you is that we need to believe that this is a living God. This is a God who wants to be involved in every little aspect of our lives. He is not the God of the past. He is not the God who was I am. He is the God who says I am. He's not I was. He's I am. The God of the present. And he wants to be involved in our lives every single minute of our lives. And if we believe that he is a God who is alive and purposeful and operative in our lives, then we need to believe and trust in every aspect of our lives to him. You see, it's not so much, the world is not going to be impressed with things that we do for God, but the things that God does for us. The world is not going to be impressed with the with the words that we say about God, but the world is going to be impressed with the things, the words that God says to us. He's a God who is present, who is able. And so for us to comprehend this God, what you believe about this God is the most important thing in your life. The next thing I want to ask is in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13 and 14. This is what the Bible says. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I want to say to you, we need to let go of the past. We let need to let go of any kind of failure that we might have had this past year. And we've had failures. Every single week, every single month, we experience failures. Maybe not every day, but we've had failures. We've had failures in our relationships. We've had failures in terms of our work relationships. We've had failures all over the place. And we mustn't allow those failures to take a hold of us. We've got painful memories. We've failed in relationships, in making wrong decisions. We failed in our relationship with our parents. And if you're a parent in our relationship with our children, we've said and we've done things. We've failed 
even ourselves. And if we allow those failures to become the forefront in our minds, then it's going to hinder us. It's going to trip us up. Don't let those failures hassle you. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us, to forgive us of our past, to forgive us of our failures. And so when we come to understand the wonder of the work of the cross, we begin to realize that we don't have to drag our failures and our past into the future. The next thing I want to say as we go into the new year is give up the grudges. The grudges. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 13. Bear with each other. That's, that's a command. Looking at some of you. Mm, I make the sounds of an old man. Mm, bear with each other. I have to put up with you and you have to put up with me. But then it goes on. And forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's the challenge. To forgive one another. We have to have to forgive. I've been in ministry for over 40 years. And one of the things that I'm discovering is how incredibly important forgiveness is. People who struggle with depression, struggle to have a victorious Christian life, people who do that, usually, not always, but usually, and I would say as much as 80%, have issues in forgiveness. I cannot, the longer I continue in the ministry, I cannot emphasize just the essential nature that forgiveness has in our lives. We have to live in a place of constant forgiveness. Don't hold grudges. A grudge is where you have continued and deep-seated resentment that you cultivate in your hearts towards somebody else. Hmm? And right now, as I say that, people, faces, names come to mind in your, in your life. And you have to let it go. You just have to not hold those grudges. A grudge is an unforgiving spirit that leads to unforgiving attitudes, and unforgiving actions. And harboring a grudge is nursing a dislike towards somebody else. And will it damage you? It will damage you. It'll hurt you. I would say it even possibly would destroy you. It would destroy marriages. Grudges destroy families, they ruin friendships, and they split churches. And one of the great scandals of the church is outside people look into the church and they see all of these grudges that are taking place. If we go into this new year, you can't be holding a grudge against somebody else in the congregation. Especially. Especially. And I would say God's word to you today 
from that Colossians 3 passage. God's word to you today. If you're holding a grudge, give it up. Give it up. Years ago, I read a story of a, a, a couple that sent a letter bomb to somebody that they held a grudge towards. The person opened up the letter bomb and the thing went off and the person died. It so destroyed them that they themselves committed suicide and they were found gassed in a motor car, in the cabin of a motor car by police. Where did it go back to? It was a poor relationship that the two men had with one another when they were at high school. Just holding that grudge. Killed somebody, they themselves committed suicide, he with his wife. Not only will it destroy you physically, but it will destroy you mentally, and it will destroy you spiritually. Job 21 talks about uh, a people, describes a people who have no happiness because they live and die with bitter hearts. What an epitaph. This man was bitter. Why? Because he held a grudge. You've heard me talk about the parable of the unforgiving servant. The parable of the unforgiving servant is, is the king calls somebody in and says, you owe me. And it was a huge amount. Over 900 million rand. Equivalent. You, you owe me. Ah, I can't have it. I can't do it. I can't get it together. Okay, you're going to go to jail. And the guy falls on his knees and says, please forgive me. And the king forgives it. And he goes out of the palace and he walks down the road and he sees somebody else who owes him a negligible amount of money. 60 rand, equivalent. And the guy says, you owe me money. And the guy says, I haven't got the money to pay you. And he has him thrown into prison. And the king hears about this guy who's not been able to forgive somebody else and he calls him in. And, and I mean, you know, when we refuse to forgive, we find ourselves in a terrible situation. And the king says, okay, you're going to go back into prison. Back into the prison of your own guilt. Back into the prison of your own depression. Back into the prison of your own bitterness. But not only did he go back into prison, he was handed over to torture. See, you find yourself in a much worse predicament when you are exercising unforgiveness. You have to forgive. You have to forgive. And now, at the beginning of this year, there has to be that, that, that decision, that commitment. I'm going to walk in a place of forgiveness all the time. The fourth thing is we need to restore our relationships. Restore our relationships. If you're exercising forgiveness, you need to restore You turned on your television, your uh, virus check. Six of all the programs are right, and if it's not right, there comes a message for you. Not a message that you want to see, but you hope that all your virus uh, apps kick out any virus. But here at the beginning of the year, check your relationship. Check that those relationships are right. Let's look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 18. If it is possible, I like that. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, 
live at peace with everybody. Live at peace with everybody. During the lockdown period that we had <coughs> in 2020, I did one morning devotion. I only got to do one. And I spoke on the aspect of living in a place of forgiveness. And straight after that, I got a message. Please tell me when you're available. And it was a relationship that I had years before at one of the previous churches. And a guy had said something to me. He had challenged me on something. And I, I didn't remember. You know, I, I, I believe that more important than memory is your forgettery. Uh, and, and I, but he remembered, and he remembered how he had spoken to me, and he phoned, and he said, "Rich, I just want to say I'm sorry. I'm forgive. Consider yourself forgiven, please." I mean, just. <laughs> but I mean, I, I, I thought that was that was wonderful. That years later, he phoned and said, "Just people might not remember, but yeah, live at peace with everybody. Don't." One of the things that we need to guard against is burning bridges. Don't burn bridges. If somebody is freaking you out and offending you, just walk away. Don't build bridges. Burn bridges. Build bridges. It starts, starts with you. Um, there's an author whose name was Keith Drury. And he wrote about restitution. Restitution. What is restitution? It's restoring re relationships. That's what restitution is. It's going back and making things right where you've said and you've done things that have been wrong. It's easier for you to tell a story than to make restitution. And we need to make restitution in our relationships. Where there has been areas where you've been wrong or even been wrong, just try to restore it. If it is possible, if it's possible, I mean, I, those four words, if it is possible, is so important for us. Admitting your past errors in relationship and humbly seeking forgiveness for those that you've hurt. And then the last one is, turn your back on your sins and your transgressions. You know, during the American Civil War, when the slaves, when the North eventually won the war and slaves were emancipated, were freed, they had a choice. They could be free. They could walk out of the farm or the house that they had been uh, in for years as a slave. They could just walk out. They were free. Or... They could choose to continue to live as slaves and serve the master that they had served when they were a slave. The Christian life is kind of similar to that. Jesus has come as our savior. He's given us that freedom. He's set us free. He's removed all our sin. He's removed all our guilt. The Holy Spirit has come and he's imparted freedom into our lives. But so often we decide, I feel more comfortable and more secure going back to that place of sin. Theologians call that a besetting sin. 
having a particular sin for a particular Christian, going back to that. Years ago, I read an article about a pastor who had been, uh, he had this besetting sin of looking at porn for 10 years. And we know that that is epidemic in the world today. And it's even epidemic amongst Christians looking at pornography. And that is the city. It's just got this thing, this pull that draws you. In one of our previous congregations, I had uh, a member that had a huge cyst on his forehead. And, you know, each week, each month, it kind of grew a little bit. And this was this big knob on the front of his forehead. And, I mean, when you're talking to the guy, you kind of like, I must look at his eyes. I must look at his eyes. It's And I, I said to him on a number of occasions, why don't you have that seen to? Have it cut out. No, no, it's okay. I, I can live with it. I can, You know, there are Christians that are living with sin. And I'm not saying this thing on his head. He eventually cut it out. And it was fine. But I mean, it was very distracting. But you see, he couldn't see it. It's only when he looked in the mirror that he saw it. But everybody else could see it. But there are Christians that are living with this besetting sin in their life. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with it. No, you're not. It's causing you to live a double life. And maybe today the Lord is saying to you, set aside. Set aside that sin. That sin. Stop obeying your old master. So, today, just a new year on our calendar, or this is the first Sunday that we can make some real commitment. What is it going to be? Don't allow the past to hinder you. Don't drag the past around with you. Give up those grudges. Restore those relationships. Don't go back to your old master, sin. And know, know for a fact that the God that we serve is a huge God. He is a God who is able. Amen.